In October 1991, David Brown of Entertainment Weekly wrote, The problem with current college radio rock is that most so-called alternative bands desperately want to sound normal. On their collar-grabbing second album, Nevermind, and their first for a major label, the Seattle trio Nirvana never entertained that notion. The working title of Nevermind was originally Sheep, in reference to frontman Kurt Cobain's disgust for cultural and artistic homogeny. When Nevermind hit stores in September of 1991, only 45,000 copies were shipped across America. After picking up steam on MTV, the album would be certified gold with over 500,000 copies sold within the next year, and would be certified diamond with over 10 million records sold by the end of the 1990s. The history of pop music and pop culture cannot be accurately discussed without talking about Nirvana and how they changed the entire landscape. They brought the aggression of bands like Black Flag to the mainstream and paired it with Beatles-esque harmonies, creating an inescapable sound that lines drive-time alternative radio to this day. Nirvana was unapologetically loud in their debut album Bleach and unforgiving in their pursuit of experimentation with 1993's In Utero, but it is Nevermind that rightfully remains Nirvana's greatest triumph. It's an undeniable masterpiece, a game changer in the pop music stratosphere. And of course, because of that, it remains an art school album. Under normal circumstances, I think with the ethos of this show, if we were going to discuss a Nirvana album, we would be talking about Bleach or In Utero, or if we were feeling especially spicy, I think we would talk about Incesticide. But given my guest today, the conversation that I think we're about to have, and the sheer magnitude of the guest mixed with the sheer magnitude of this album, Nirvana's Nevermind, we have to talk about it on this episode because my guest today is Talia Ginsberg. Talia, how are you doing? Yes, first of all, being compared to Nirvana, I mean, you didn't compare me to Nirvana, but you know, you kind of correlate me with an album, so thank you. How are you doing? <laughs> Talia, I'm doing well. For our listeners that might not know Talia, uh, this is it. This is uh, <laughs> raw, unfiltered, unapologetic Talia Ginsberg. A gorgeous, brassy, trumpet voice made for podcasts, you could say. <laughs> well, it's a voice that some might say is soothing. Others, you know, up for interpretation. But Talia, Everyone. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here because, you know, the foundation of this show goes back to my freshman year of school. You can check the archives in my Google Drive. There was an idea for this show three years ago. You are someone I met my first day of college. And if you would have asked me then, as I was formulating the mere idea for this show, who would be some of my dream guests? Well, I'd like to have Jake Klingensmith on the podcast. He's been on. I'd like to have Tally Dooley on the podcast. She's been on. I'd like to have Blaine McBroom on the podcast. He's been on. I don't think Talia Ginsburg would have made the list, but the beauty of your journey is that you're here now and I'm delighted to be talking to you. So could you, you know, if you have the ability, describe your collegiate journey a little bit. What have these three and a half years been like for you? Absolutely. Well, it's so funny you mentioned that because genuinely when I think, uh, when I like look back on my past self, my regrets, my mistakes, my growth, like blah, blah, all that stuff. One of the things that I can mark is like, okay, like I'm not perfect, but I've come a long way is I literally have brought you up many times where I'm like the person that I had like maybe beef with is now like my favorite human being. And I feel like that's only a good thing for me. And I, I brought that up with Jen the other day, shout out to our teacher. Cause I was like, oh, someone that I think that I would like vibe so well with on a podcast that was like is Case and Jen did you know Case and I like low-key used to have beef and now we don't but uh yeah <laughs> I look yeah let's let's say it I used to have beef with Talia there are a lot of things like I feel like I'm a people person I'm pretty accepting of most people but when an un unidentified flying object like Italia Ginsburg torpedoes into your life. Look, I was 
I was without the skills to comprehend who you were as a person. And maybe I wasn't as friendly as I should have been. So I apologize. No, and no, no, I apologize. And here's the thing. It's, I think that of course it's good to be an open-minded person. I think you are open-minded and you are accepting. However, like I, in life, you can literally do whatever you want. You can act however you want, blah, 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 but there are consequences. So I think the issue with freshman year, I was definitely living, you know, doing whatever I want spur of the moment, but, and that's isolating. And so I feel like, yeah, a lot of people, I burned a lot of bridges with people and, you know, like, offended people and so their reaction when people say like oh they didn't have a good impression of me they don't like me I don't like take I don't hold that against in any way because I feel like that's warranted and now the fact that like I feel like a lot of people in the major especially have come around and are so kind to me when like you know I was like really insane is is heartwarming and but I also understand people who are like you know what I don't want to vibe with her so no I don't hold it against you at all <laughs> Well, I think you've earned the benefit of the doubt because one thing that I've learned through really spending a lot of time around you, I mean, we were at Second City, uh, yes. you know, only a mere nine months ago. I know it seems like longer, but it was this calendar year that we were, you know, Monday through Thursday, nine to five at Second City. And I really appreciated just how kind of a person you are. And I don't know, you know, if you get the credit for that or not, but you were someone that like, I think you look after those around you and I appreciate it, which is hard to believe given that one of my defining memories of what we'll call early stage Talia, maybe someone that I didn't get along with so well yeah. is, and, and I apologize for bringing this up, but I'm going to, is we were in what is essentially the only lecture class that this school offers, a class of roughly 60 people in this class. And was brought to my attention pretty early on into a period that Talia had brought an animal to class. And it wasn't exactly a service dog, wasn't exactly a service cat, more of a rodent type animal. And Talia, I'd like for you to describe what exactly the situation was. Right. So, yes, I did, in fact, bring a small rodent, a pet, um, which a lot of people, first of all, were, like, disgusted by. And I feel like people assumed I, like, crawled by a dumpster and scooped her up and was like, here we go. Like, no, I, I went to PetSmart. Like, <laughs> I was scrappy for sure, but not that disgusting. Um, and, yeah, I used to, you know, the issue is I feel like deep down, like, I wanted to be a good person and I thought I was a good person and so for me though it, I wasn't responsible enough to have a pet so I loved the animal I gave her attention I brought her to class but that's not the care that she needed I didn't understand the difference between like you know like what it needs versus what you want to give it so like it was definitely it's a it's not a regret of mine because I love that pet so much and, you know, had a lot of fun having teachers let me bring her to class. But also I do regret not waiting until I was mature enough to have a pet and give it the love it needed. But yeah, basically, long story short, I brought her to class in a little cardboard box and Case had something to say about it. And and the thing is, at the time, like I said, you know, sorry, I'm talking so much, but I guess it's a No, problem. Talia, this is, this is your job. I asked you a question and you're answering the question. <laughs> With all the detail, the details of a book. Um, so, you know, obviously at the time, I was a lot more immature. So when I heard that you went up to the teacher or the substitute, bless her soul, after class and was like, hey, she has an animal. I was like, wow, this guy, what a narc. Can't believe him. But now that I'm, you know, a bit more grown up, I can realize like, oh no, you were just looking out for the animal from the safety of the class. We don't know people's allergies or this, this and that. And so again, it's one of those things where at the time I was like, and now looking back, totally get it. Totally applaud you for doing that. I'm sure that's not an easy thing to do. So yeah. <laughs> well, you were correct labeling me a narc. That is fair. That I cannot deny. I think that's just being responsible. That's like, it's, I mean, you know, like I see on TikTok people being like, I just had a party and someone like ratted me out. I'm like, no, they didn't rat you out. There's a pandemic. People could die. It's just being responsible. Just to make sure <laughs> we're all clear here. Can you just for the record, clearly state what animal you brought to class? I don't know if that was set or not. Oh Yeah, a gerbil. However, we call her a rat. We called her a rat because it just, it rolls off the tongue better. And she had like, I don't know. Yeah, but a gerbil, squeak, squeak. Um, and also kind of a follow-up story. Can I tell about the stand-up that was about you? 
because I don't think I know this story. So please, please go ahead. Once, but very briefly. So then fast forward again, another situation where I thought I was being loving to an animal and I absolutely wasn't. And I'm, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm going to get in so much trouble for this, but you know what? I'm here to learn and grow. Um, so once upon a time, I was doing stand-up at a theater in Chicago, and I wrote this whole bit about this guy in my class who's, like, hallucinating, and he's seeing animals, and that's so weird. And I was like, yeah, he thought I had a rat in class. I do the set. People seem kind of confused, and then I pull out my rat, and yeah. And so the theater was like, you need to go. Um, but also, I'm sorry, I was the first person in history to have a gerbil on that gorgeous stage. So, you know, win-win, lose-lose. Um, but yeah, I regret it, obviously. Win-win, lose-lose <laughs> is one way of describing that situation. But I, I'm curious, just because, again, you're someone that I, I feel like I talk to maybe on a weekly basis at this point, just through trading DMs and social media interactions. But I don't know specifically, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but I'm curious as to this maturation process that you've gone through, maybe what some of those steps looked like, because although that Talia Ginsburg spunk is still ever so present, you are a different human than the one I met. Totally. Um, I think, I think one thing was noticing and accepting how it was affecting other people. I think there's like a big culture now about like, Oh, like your mental illness and taking care of it and like being forgiving to yourself. But I think it's important to know that, it's not the people around you responsibility. Like once you're negatively affecting other people, it's just not okay. And I could see how it was burdening people around me, pushing away other people who I really liked. And, um, and so, you know, it's, if you're not going to better yourself for yourself, which you should do, but if you, the best thing you can, like, I would be like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry to my friend. And it's like, yeah, an apology is great. But really, if you want to be a good friend, take care of yourself so your friend doesn't have to deal with the aftermaths of your mental illness. But actually, um, music was a really big part of that. Um, not to get too like, you know, corny or whatever, but like a big part of me overcoming a lot of my issues and anxieties and mental illness was exercise. And so I go on these, like, they're not like walks. I call them wanderings. Cause I'll just like set out for three hours, kind of overkilling it, but I'll just like, whoa, like let's find out where we go. And so I started walking, a crazy amount every day. And so burning through music, burning through podcasts a lot. And that's kind of how I really started to get into music and going to house shows and all that culture. So let's talk about that. I think, by the way, Talia, a lovely transition. Job well done. Thank you. Hey, we should have started podcasts. <laughs> so I consider you to be a very musical person. I think anybody that follows you on Instagram and engages in your stories know that you have been uh, doing piano covers of various songs for the past few months. <laughs> It's been very enjoyable to listen to. I, I see now you're picking up a guitar all of a sudden. So tell me a little bit about your musical upbringing in terms of what was playing around your house at a young age and sort of the first band or artist that you really got into. Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, well, so my dad is, I would say, was the person that like controlled the ox cord and like all that. So a lot of influence from him and he's from South Africa. So Cape Town. So like a lot of uh, international bands and, you know, like my mom's from South America, too. And so like, yeah, a lot of a big mix for sure. Uh, I would think when I think back of like, oh, what I really liked, though, I remember in the car, like when he played Stevie Wonder, I really loved that. And then kind of when I was a kid, I dressed like a beastie boy. And so that suddenly became like a thing. Like I, my best friends were like my two neighbors and my brother. And so I wore like XXL basketball shorts with an XXL t-shirt. And so um, that was, I think one transition, but I kind of remember the specific, like it, I didn't really have a lot of, access to my own music because I didn't really get like a phone with internet until like senior year of high school or something so really I would say college is when I first started to like go into oh what do I like and figuring that out and I I think to bring it up again but because we brought this up before with the podcast but when I watched Silver Linings Playbook I remember I heard uh Fell in love with a girl by the white stripes. Love the white stripes. Um, and I remember being like, oh, I like this. And I would mark that as like a big transition. That's uh, incredibly interesting just on a number of levels. The fact that Silver Linings Playbook has played such a big part of your life is something I was unaware of. 
<laughs> but it's it's nice to see. So I, I'm curious why never mind i asked you you know send me a list of some albums that you'd like to talk about with me and you mentioned a white stripes album then you you mentioned never mind and look i have a lot of thoughts on jack white that are not suitable for this specific episode of the podcast some positive and and some negative but uh i'm i'm curious as to why never mind because it's an album that holds a special place in my heart but what does it mean to you Definitely. I mean, you know, I'm not as deep as a lot of your guests. Uh, that's not apparent yet. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait. Um, so definitely, you know, what really first got me into any music or Nirvana especially was just sound. I think we both share, uh, we're kind of drawn to like louder, like a lot of yell, like angry kind of music, sort of like angsty. So it was definitely just the sound. But then um, I started to like look into the lyrics and also just like Kurt Cobain as a person and a lot of what he stood for and uh, just like the grunge movement in the 90s in general. And it's, I know it's definitely like, I don't think it was his favorite album. I think he kind of said a lot of it was very commercialized and um, he didn't really seem to like how popular they got, but, um, like I said, I'm not super deep. So commercial music is the popular stuff is always my favorite stuff. Like it just is. <laughs> I think that's fine because when we're talking about the popular stuff here, we're talking about one of the greatest albums ever recorded. And for as much as I think with people our age, because we grew up in a post Nirvana universe. I, I was born in 99. I'm assuming you were born around a similar time period. <laughs> Like Nirvana for a short period was the biggest band in the world outselling Michael Jackson and knocking him off the top of the billboard charts. And for me, I can say, and it's weird. I was excited doing this episode because a lot of these albums that I do for the show, I pour myself into these albums and, you know, like just last week we did Kid A's Radiohead, another incredibly influential album, but I was unfamiliar with Kid A before the podcast. So I listened to it a dozen times over the week before we recorded and did all this research and read all these articles, but with Nevermind, I just know it. Like I, I did much less prep for this episode than I typically do because Nirvana is on the short list of bands and I'm not original in this, you know, experience that have literally changed my life. So I'm curious, do you remember like hearing Nirvana for the first time or sort of that, like the back of your head is blown off by amazement moment you had with Nirvana? I definitely remember. I always heard people saying smells like teen spirit and I never was I didn't think like oh I don't think I've ever heard this blah blah so I do remember at a certain point like looking it up and that was the first song I ever heard and then I think what got me into like I loved that song and then what really made me love like the band was Heart Shape Box, Lithium, those songs, Drain You, really stuck with me um but yeah I mean it's it's a popular band and uh like I've heard a lot of people and read a lot of articles saying that Smells Like Teen Spirit was like the song of the decade. You just, it's everywhere. Um, and I think you can kind of hear a lot of like Kurt's, I don't know, frustration, but just like how he dealt that. I think it was in Bloom. He says something about like, oh, like all the, oh, I'm forgetting the lyrics. No, but like all the people that are basically like the message of the song was all these people that don't understand what it's about and he kind of was this person who was really into like the underground punk scene and clearly when it became popular it was like oh no but this isn't you know they're not listening to the lyrics they don't understand Talia, you're setting me up with so many beautiful talking points. This is all stuff that we will come back to as we sort of break down these songs. I, I do want to say real quick just to sort of contextualize myself within this album I don't specifically remember the first time I heard Nirvana. I know how I got into them was as a child, and this explains a lot about me, my primary two channels were VH1 and VH1 Classic at a point where they were running, I love the 80s, I love the 90s, and I love the new millennium on repeat, just these talking head comedy shows, and then they would do like 100 greatest moments in music history and, and top 100 songs of the 90s and all of these countdown shows with your Michael Ian Blacks and your Chuck Nices and these various New York comedians. That's what I was obsessed with. That is what I watched. And I remember hearing the song Wood by Allison Chains. And Allison Chains is not a band that I particularly enjoy now. They're not one that comes up in any of my playlists, but that was a band for a, a short time period that 
was huge for me. And hearing Wood led me into the grunge movement, if you will. And then as soon as I heard Nirvana, and I was in fifth grade at the time, so I'm 11 or 12 years old, but at this point I'm already feeling very socially dissatisfied, very disturbed with a lot of my surroundings. I'm unable to cope with these emotions that I'm feeling of intense anxiety and depression and dread and stuff that I have evolved, not past, but it's just I feel differently about those feelings now. I'm, I'm more capable of coping with them. But at that time, I had no coping skills. I had no coping mechanisms. What I had was Nirvana, and I poured myself into this band. And this is when we're, you know, at, at a time in my life where people are going through puberty and latching onto this idea of popularity and whatever the song on pop radio is, that is the song that everybody likes. And I'm, I think, already positioned to be a little bit of a social outcast, but then I bring Smells Like Teen Spirit or Heart Shaped Box to the table, and it suddenly becomes much harder to make friends, Talia. It was not an easy upbringing for me. And these same people that would mock me for listening to Nirvana. No, you know. <laughs> the same people in high school and even some of them now in college, I see them wearing Nirvana t-shirts and it drives me Only insane. Only the smiley face one though. Only, Only the smiley face one. That's exactly it, Talia. So I think a lot of people that, that know me now associate me with maybe the Front Bottoms or a band like AJJ or obviously the Smiths and Morrissey, but there's an entire... That's your foundation. That's my foundation. Well, my foundation is Nirvana. That's what it was all built off of because there's a yearbook of people that know me in another generation that know me as the Nirvana guy. And it's something that was put in the back pocket as I evolved as a person. But listening to Nevermind all the way through again, it was so pleasing. And we have to start, if we're going to talk about Nevermind, with the opening song on the album, an album that was certified diamond. It has sold over 10 million copies in the U.S. It came out on September 24th, 1991. And the opening song, it smells like teen spirit, which is just, it's second to none, Talia. There's no other song like this. Agreed! so mad this is a podcast because your hand gestures they're and so enthusiastic i just i wish people could see that but yeah smells like teen spirit you know i see this a lot about people and again we're back to the popularity thing being like you're not a real nirvana fan if like your smells like teen spirit's your favorite song and i i would say that i'm a huge nirvana fan like i said i have t-shirts um, merch means you like them, and it's not the smiley face. It's a, it's a, it's a photo of Kurt Cobain with his signature. So there. And I will say that yes, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is tied for my favorite song. Um, I think it's, it's very, it's got the angstiness, and it's upbeat, and it's just like I really enjoy. Like I have two extremes, and I feel like well, now that we're talking about it, in my, <laughs> in my personality, but also like in my music taste, it's very kind of one or the other. So with the music, I either, similar to you, like this very upbeat, grungy, like smells like teen spirit stuff, or the extremely slow, more like melancholy sound. And I think like, I know Kurt Cobain talked a lot about how he was inspired a lot by the Pixies and how the both of those bands did a lot of alternating between like the very, very soft and then the very, very loud. And so I feel like I can imagine people at a concert are, like so hyped up, but like, I can't, I can like, only dream and wished I was there for like when they first start playing Smells Like Teen Spirit, which I know they didn't like to play. Um, but like that would have been one of the highlights of my life. I Even if I heard a cover band, someone do it, still would make a highlight because it's that amazing. So that is exactly what I wanted to ask you because part of the lore about Smells Like Teen Spirit that I find so fascinating is this song almost didn't make the album because Kurt was afraid that it sounded too much like a Pixie song and he didn't want to rip off the Pixies. Growing up, being isolated, literally where I lived, I didn't live in a neighborhood I grew up in the country, but then also socially, I just didn't have friends until I was 16. I spent a lot of time watching Nirvana documentaries, something I'm very well versed in, and something that comes up in every single documentary is Kurt's love for the Pixies, and Kurt's love for REM, and Kurt's love for a band like Black Flag, so Nirvana is my foundation because from there, I mean, REM is one of my favorite bands of all time. I think, you know, I respect the Pixies more than I like them, but I do like the Pixies. Oh, I love the Pixies. <laughs> I, look, I like the Pixies too. Sometimes I, it's hit and miss, but when the Pixies hit, it is a special feeling. And obviously, 
uh, Black Flag is a band that, that means a ton to me. But I, I'm curious, was Nirvana that sort of saying like launching pad into other bands uh, for you? Was that a similar experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really like the sort of like, there's almost like a spaciness to a lot of their songs and just like, you know, the themes that he talks about too. It's interesting hearing a song that's so like hype and upbeat and like, you know, I, it's the sort of music that I like skateboard to or go run and like do, you know, phys- I, I skate, you know, flex. Um, <laughs> not well, but I know it. Um, and then you listen to the lyrics and I sometimes would even, well, this might be just me being paranoid, but sometimes when I do like a cover of a song, I feel like kind of, uh, what's the word? Like torn about it. Cause it's like, okay, yeah, it was a great song. I want to cover it, but also hearing the lyrics and how incredibly sad they are, you know, songs that are from his point of view. Then he also does a lot of songs that are from other people's point of views. And, you know, he talks a lot about drugs and death and suicide and, um, Oh, what was the question? Right, and so a lot of other bands that I like that kind of talk about like existence and things like that. Yeah, it got me into the Pixies, which got me into like Flaming Lips, and then like, what's that one band that's like in the airplane over the sea? I probably Neutral Milk Hotel is the band you're looking for. <laughs> nope. And now it's called In the Airplane Over the Sea. <laughs> right on a t-shirt. <laughs> Oh, Talia, what what a journey this has been so far. And we're we're through one song. It's the beautiful part. I, I am curious because you mentioned and you're exactly right that that once this song blew up and this song changed the landscape of MTV, which in nineteen ninety one means it kind of changed the landscape of cable television and you know, it introduced a network that was still so powerful in the music industry to an entirely new generation of stars because in 1991, the mainstream music scene, while there's still great stuff going on underground, the mainstream music scene is Use Your Illusion, which is our, our two bad Guns N' Roses albums, and then a bunch of tired hair metal bands that don't offer any substance. And then Nirvana is a punk band, and that is the end-all be-all discussion, is Nirvana is a punk band. And for them to come on MTV and, and grab the ball, or grab the bull by the horns, rather, the way they did, it, it changed the game completely. We cannot analyze popular culture in the late 20th century or even in the 21st century and counterculture, for that matter, in the late 20th century and early 21st century without discussing Nirvana's impact. But you're exactly right. They grew to hate the song. Kurt did not like playing the song live. And it's a weird thing where you're known for something that you're trying to escape. And I'm just curious because you do have such a expressive personality if that is something you've come across of trying to distance yourself from hey this is the old talia this isn't really something that i'm i'm interested in now oh that's such an interesting question yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I feel like a lot of the times I feel like I'm I'm an extremely competitive person, surprisingly. I don't think that maybe it comes across, but I definitely feel this like very deep like urge to constantly prove myself. Like I definitely like when we first started at Second City, I was aware. I was like, I don't think any of these people like me, let alone think I'm like funny at all or like have any um, like future and comedy, like this, this and that. So it's kind of, I kind of in a weird way would in knowing that people felt distant to me would almost distance myself a bit more. Uh, and so then I think something I had to work on was like, separating this like angsty like need for like redemption and like show them like I'm so good at this which you know it's not it's really nothing but um <laughs> that I am but uh and then just slowly being like oh no just like reintroduce yourself and I think what's what I kind of learned that's a way to kind of not like reinvent yourself but get people to like give you another shot I guess is just to, like instead of focusing on me and like talking about which I do so much look at my t- I was thinking about the today I was like all my tweets start with me or I and it's so unlikable anyway um that's your twitter that's your public page that's what I mean it's give yourself cut yourself some slack here that's okay but I think to get to know people or like yeah get them to give you a shot is to ask people about them I guess more so so just I guess yeah I did a lot of trying to be like oh let's like let me listen to you because like talk 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 um yeah no definitely um I mean there's there's like fundamental like things that I feel like were associated with me freshman year that are probably like still true um but 
like my dad always says like you have to conform to society enough to like be part of society like you can like be yourself and express yourself but until it starts impacting you like it's all fun and games to like go and live your life until you're like all alone sort of thing so you know like i feel like people associate me with like something like pink hair like yeah that's that's fine but i definitely don't want to be associated as like oh, did you hear about Talia's? But like someone was like, oh, I heard you climbed a building. And I was like, first of all, amazing. Let's keep that rumor going. Um, that's incredible. But it's like, oh, I don't want people to hear things that then makes them not want to meet me. And maybe I deserve that for having done things that would make someone not want to meet me. What a long answer. Back to you, Case. <laughs> Talia, once again, you answered the question exactly how I wanted you to. So you are you are passing with flying colors. Notes before this, he said, say this quote, including the tangents and including the onomatopoeia. <laughs> oh, boing, boing, boing. <laughs> As we transition into In Bloom, which is the second song and yet another single from this loaded first half of the album, Talia, you referenced it a little bit earlier. This song is kind of poking fun at the people that showed up after Bleach that were uh, sort of latching on to a buzz bin, hype-worthy band that was still underground on Sub Pop at one point before they signed their major label uh, at Geffen. And the lyrics I believe you were trying to think of earlier is, you know, uh, you know, but he don't know what it means is kind of how the chorus ends. And it's an interesting discussion because Kurt Cobain is known as this uh, rich, thought-provoking man that was very deep and intellectual, but his lyrics don't necessarily match that. There's not a ton of Nirvana lyrics that I can pull out of the air and be like, yes, that is, that is exactly what I'm feeling. So I'm curious, like, in music in general, but specifically with Nirvana, are you someone that maybe attaches themselves more to a vibe, or are you looking for lyrics that relate to you? It's definitely changing a lot as I get more and more into music because, you know, like I said, how I even first got into Nirvana was just like, yeah, like the loudness and like the music part. And I know Kurt said, you know, that that was always his first priority is how it sounds. And then I'd say I definitely now I'm starting to look more into lyrics. Um, like I had a weird project last year where I like made these like paper hearts and I wrote like my favorite lyrics from songs and then just like put it around my like, oh, when the flaming lips say like Vaseline, love that, so funny. Um, so I'm starting to get more and more into lyrics, but I feel like in a weird way, part of the like charm of Kurt Cobain was almost like, like, I feel like it's hard to know what was purposeful that worked and then what worked when it was just spur of the moment, just like, that, that was just like what was so like about uh, likeable about him I guess um and you know this isn't a unique thought like I read somewhere that you know I think David was saying that like people would be like oh what does this lyric mean and in the aftermath they'd have to be like oh gosh what does this lyric mean to try and give a good answer and he said in reality sometimes Kurt would just kind of like eh, da, 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 like right before and then go on which is you know even more impressive <laughs> um but I would say kind of similar to what I mentioned before with a slower song, I pay attention more, uh, but I'm trying to change that, yeah. is a, a perfect lead-in into Come As You Are, Come As You Are, rather, which is a song that I'm sure Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic have had to answer, you know, what is the meaning of this song? You know, Kurt repeating, and I swear I don't have a gun. You know, what could this mean? Was he, uh, you know, showing or, or foreshadowing a sign of things to come? And I, I would hate to be in that position where I have to dictate somebody's life based on their past actions. But, but I am curious, and, and maybe you answered it earlier when you were talking about how you, you can be yourself, but you still have to conform to society standards. But I'm curious, you being you, in essence, what does come as you are mean to you? Oh, interesting. Well, it's hard to separate my my thoughts on it from what I read because <laughs> um, like you know I've heard people say that oh it might have been a reference to like like the needle of heroin I think um or that it is a gun oh that's that's a great question I think 
Because my just like, oh, pure thoughts on it is it's just like such a cool intro. And I know that they felt like kind of weird about releasing. I think it was another one where they're like, oh, this is very similar to like something, something. Um, That's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure. Well, I, I think you, you addressed it in a sense in the larger scope, kind of removing it from the song of, and I think you do live this the fullest of you're someone that you, you are yourself, but at the same time, I think you conform to society standards. And I, and I think you do that with great success, but I'm glad this ended up on the record because although it is not my favorite Nirvana song of all time, it is my favorite song on the album. I was so... Come As You Are is absolutely my favorite song on the album. I, I was, I found so much comfort and so much joy in letting this song wash over me this week. It's just like, yeah, like, what else can you say? Like, this is the best. Like, these guys are so good. Well, I wonder if the lyrics, like, the actual lyrics, like, come as you are. Like, if I just, like, isolate that, I'm like, oh, it just sounds like, be yourself. Like, one of those things. I don't know if that's, I don't think that's what he meant at all. But I do, I do think that that's, like, something about Kurt that's really lovable is he definitely... I feel like embrace a lot of just like be yourself and that sort of thing. And I think also like he seemed to be someone that was really passionate about like human rights and acceptance. And so definitely a really big reach, but just like, you know, like at that time, for example, he would like perform a lot in like, um, you know, dress in a dress, which is obviously like associated with him now a lot. Well, let's talk about track four, which is Breed, which is much more in the punk vein than I think the first three tracks on the album. And Talia, I want to read you a quote from Kurt Cobain that he said in The Advocate in 1993 and sort of get your thoughts on this quote after I read it and, and how it relates to you, where Kurt said, and I quote, well, I have apocalyptic dreams all the time. Two years ago, I wouldn't have even considered having a child. I used to say that a person who would bring a child into this life is selfish, but I try to be optimistic and things do look like they're getting a little bit better just with the way communication has progressed in the past 10 years. I was helpless when I was 12 when Reagan got elected and there was nothing I could do about it. But now this generation is growing up and they're in their mid twenties and they're not putting up with it in quote. And that unfortunately perhaps seems to echo the times a little bit. Maybe it seems like things are a little bit darker now than they were in 1993. And I'm just, I'm just curious as to what you think of that. Definitely. It's very difficult. And I think there's what's important is to stay informed and educated and Definitely, this is a super, we're in like a crisis in so many ways at the same time. Like it's been said before, but if we were in, you know, the climate crisis and the pandemic and all that, but had, you know, a good leader or a leader period, I, I'll i say I'm just not a leader in any resemblance. Um, fuck you, Donald Trump. Um, it would feel a lot more comforting. So yeah, it's important to have conversations with your family or your friends and all that and to go vote and do all those things but at the same time know what he said about like oh it fell out of my control and kind of what so i was talking about earlier with myself is the best thing one of the best things you can do if you want to really help the society is take care of yourself too so that you can help society sort of thing so it's like you can it's important to be stressed out about the situation i guess you know know what's happening but also try to also like find what you can be in control of sort of thing. So it's like, if you at least know that the things that you have in control are under good, then, then you can continue. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> they call me articulate. Talia, are you familiar with the Nirvana song, serve the servants off of in utero? I'm embarrassed to say that I'm sure if I heard it, I'd be like, oh yeah, but not just by the name. That's okay. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot and try to revoke your Nirvana fan card. Oh, you won't embarrass me in front of the people um, because I'm so cool. <laughs> but the opening line of Serve the Servants, and it is my favorite all-time Nirvana song. I don't think anything's even close to it. I, I, I love that song so much. But the opening line is Teenage Angst have paid off well. Now I'm bored and old. And I would encourage the listeners that share our age and that share our interests and that share our care for the world to not let that lyric come true as it arguably did for Gen X. A teenage angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored and old. 
continue the fight. Uh, and, and perhaps, you know, in these, in these crazy times, Talia, and this is where I'm going to nail the broadcaster's transition, perhaps you might need some lithium, like track five, which is, which is a very manic and confusing song. One of the big hits, but I can also say not one of my like golden tier Nirvana songs. That's so. wild because I was going to get it tattooed on my body, <laughs> which I've had worse tattoos um, as we all know, but yeah, I was going to get, um, I'm so ugly, but that's okay. Cause so are you. I, and I'm still holding out for it. However, that's a lot of words. And there's not, you know, a infin infinite amount of body to go around. So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe, um, maybe I'll just get ugly. I'll just get ugly on my body. So then people will be like, oh my God, no, you're mediocre looking. And I'll be like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, I love that song. And it's, isn't it? Oh gosh, I did a research and my brain is just oh so small. Wasn't it like from another person's point of view, like someone trying to get over a lover that passed away. So they turned to religion, right? That's... That is the loose idea uh, of what has been theorized the song to be about. So you're on the right track. It's so embarrassing that I'm like, yeah, I want to get it on my body forever, but I'm not entirely sure what it's about. Because <laughs> that's the thing. I think once I started to like listen to it, I was like, well, I don't know if this is appropriate um, to, to get. Uh, <laughs> but, but a tattoo that just says ugly is perfectly appropriate. I think ugly would be a cute one on the tip of my nose. <laughs> just a bold statement piece, you know? <laughs> Talia, I look. I, I briefly because I there's a lot of tattoo on the uh, discussion on this show. I'm always just curious as to young people that get tattoos. I can't fathom doing it, but more power to them. I can you, if you wouldn't mind, briefly foray some of the tattoos that are on your body. Gosh, you know, here's the thing. Actually, I'm currently dare I say perfecting a stand-up routine about this no I'm kidding that's so obnoxious um <laughs> but yeah I do I do have a lot of tattoos and I kind of you know regret all of them um but then I like I just this is like this bit I'm working on so now it's annoying because I'm talking about a bit I'm writing and I hate that but I just kind of realized one day like oh I'm gonna be soiled nothing matters because one day I'm gonna be soiled and you can't really tell the difference so it's like whatever sort of thing but I do have the one that seems to cause the most interest is I do have a face tattoo it's an exclamation point by my eyebrow um it looks like a footstep which is really fun people think it's a footstep people have tried to wipe it off because they think it's just dirt <laughs> by my face uh which again really fun really cool i have i stick and poke the word pink on my leg because that's my favorite color but it's fading and now it says dink um i have some clowns on my legs that the tattoo artist said this way and i went no this way so that they're upside down and now they're upside down <laughs> And then, well, our good friend Stetson stick and poked this, and it's it's a mouth, and it's <laughs> I love Stetson's very creative and artistic. This is from a design point; it was my mistake. It's it's rough, and it's on my arm, so you know, just a couple. I have twelve, I think, but a lot of them are tiny, tiny, so it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. No, nothing to fear there, Talia. I promise nothing to fear there. But I, you know, I, I find it, it, it doesn't surprise me. I don't find it surprising that you are maybe someone that attached themselves to Lithium. Very manic, contradictory song. <laughs> Yeah. That I, that I, you know, it's good. I, I like the song. I'm not going to turn it off if I hear it, but it is not one of those Nirvana songs that I come back to. I, I would be surprised if there's anybody... And I would almost be concerned if there's anybody that is latching on to track six as like an on repeat sort of jam in Polly, in Polly, which is track oh, six. I was like, I'm so sorry, but I listened to Lithium on the daily. So now we just be restored from freshman year. <laughs> I'm getting out all my gerbils. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> but that beef has been absolved because that is not the song I was talking about. I was talking Polly. about Polly, which just the brief synopsis of this horrible story that the song is based off of was there's a 14-year-old girl that was kidnapped after a concert in Tacoma, Washington in 1987 uh, through essentially sly negotiations he was eventually able to escape and and gain some sort of comfort hopefully uh after just the horrible horrible situation she was in but as a song if you can look past the bleakness of the topic it is one of those songs that i think highlights 
the beautiful singing voice that Kurt Cobain had. It's, you know, a, a song that makes me uncomfortable to listen to even now, but mm -hmm. Kurt's vocals in it, I find to be so soft and so soothing and so pretty that I really, really have to respect what this song ended up becoming. Totally. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting because I also was one of those people who, when I first was kind of getting to Nirvana, I saw, you know, there's another song that, um, is called uh, trigger warning uh, rape me and so it's it's really interesting because if you didn't listen to these songs it'd be like oh my gosh like you know very dark serious topics but um, you know then you learn like oh no he's trying to like bring attention to these things um, and obviously there's the speed whether you know that was done like you know but you know his his goal was to you know he he hated that and he was talked a lot about misogyny and like a lot of the tragic things that happened to women and he was very outspoken about gay rights and so you know i of course anytime there's an artist that speaks out on serious issues i think that's you know really amazing um and more to him uh yeah <laughs> well speaking of kirk Cobain and misogyny i think we can transition to a much lighter more bouncy more enjoyable song as we go to the second side of the record with tear it all pissings which yeah. in the song kurt says never met a never met a wise man if so it's a woman and i think that perfectly encapsulates what was essentially kurt Cobain being ahead of his time and it's unfortunate that he was ahead of his time but the thing that I think uh, speaks to me about Kurt Cobain, and I referenced this a few weeks ago when we talked about the new Idols album, I think they're very similar in this respect, of using this bruising masculine image, these men that are on stage and they're yelling and they're angry, but they're yelling about things that matter and they're yelling about supporting these marginalized groups. And that is truly one of the charms of Kurt Cobain. I find a bit of representation in that as a male, but I, I don't know how you feel about it as the target of these songs. Totally. Well, it's interesting because one of the first things I remember about you is you saying how you tend to get along with women better. And that made, immediately made me think of Kurt Cobain, how he always talked about how growing up, he always like gravitated towards women. And I think a lot of artists uh, have stereotypically maybe like feminine things because I think femininity is associated with uh, talking about your feelings and being more emotionally like expressive and connecting. And I think like you know you're a person that does podcasts you talk for a living you're into music which is a very talking about your feelings it's very vulnerable and I think it's really awesome that even though he didn't like the law of his audience were these guys that were completely not getting what he was trying to say and they were very like you know that kind of a guy um but you know what like it's cool that they could see yeah this guy who's like all these things that like guys want to be like a rock star and he's like you know all these things and that he's cool and guess what he's you know wearing a dress or talking about women's issues and things like that and yeah i mean i think that's that's awesome <laughs> um so you know i i've been extremely fortunate that i haven't experienced a lot of like i mean because it's obviously misogyny is out there like oh i remember one time i was going back from like an open mic i was doing like stand-up i was going to an open mic for stand-up and the uber driver he was like what are you doing and i was like going to stand up and he's like wow that's so brave of you and i thought oh he means that because stand-up is it takes a little bravery and he goes and then he continues he goes you know because women aren't funny and i was like well man i'm not funny but the gender kills it and then he was like oh by the way i have like a, like a, a horoscope business and he like gave me his card so and i felt my eye is twitching sorry my eye started twitching um but well, you I were felt, so angry at this misogynistic legit. uber driver i don't blame you my body is ugh. um but i i still gave him five stars because i felt really guilty but i sometimes i wake up in a cold sweat and just furious on myself for giving those five stars um another thing no matter how obnoxious i was freshman year this year any year of my life well not we bring this year for obvious reasons but um my uber rating is outstanding i've helped a lot of people with therapeutic things in ubers anyway um <laughs> what a journey <laughs> do you have your roadmaps <laughs>
Natalia, what are your thoughts on the song Drain You? I'm just curious. Love Drain You. Drain You, I'm, like you said, so I bought a guitar on Sunday, and today's Wednesday, so yesterday I broke that guitar. Um, you may have seen my Instagram <laughs> post. My friend's fixing it for free. It's all good. But yeah, Drain You was the first song that I was like, this is a song that I would love to hear. I think it's beautiful. Um, and I know it's, you know, about this breakup with uh, one of the singers from another band and, um, you know, I'm sure very personal to him, but it's kind of what I was talking about earlier, at least how I kind of connect with it. I don't know if that was what he meant or not, is that thing of like, oh, draining the people around you. And that's definitely something I was doing, <laughs> um, you know, because I love tying things back. We love tying things back. Um, is that thing of, I was listening to someone's podcast and they were talking about like, loving someone unconditionally and i'm really against that as like a concept because i think and this is what they said this is not an original thought <laughs> none of these have been um but i think that's a a dangerous thing to like support because if someone's bad for you then like i don't think you, you know you can love them but that it's not your responsibility so i think true love is saying like oh my gosh this person benefits me and i'm choosing to have them not that this cosmic force is like making me be around them and i kind of had to realize like i'd get mad at friends for like you know like i'm not mad but i'd be like hurt like why is this person distant like da -da -da -da, then realizing like oh no no, no. like i your friend doesn't owe you anything. If you're not, if you're draining someone, then yeah. Let me ask you this as it pertains to popular culture, because I'm someone that I think notoriously likes problematic celebrities, but because I care about a lot of these people that have done these bad things, like I recognize most of them are bad people, but like, I'm still going to, enjoy the unfortunate correlation between very successful people that have seemed to like pour their heart into art and doing and saying bad things and it's i don't want to perpetuate that because i don't want people to then be like well i want to be successful so time to be like a shit bag but like it is a weird correlation i don't know what's up with that <laughs> Well, I'm curious as to what you do with that. Someone who, you know, you're, you're very conscious of those around you and making sure that if you're going to perform something that no one is bothered by it, you were just talking about, you know, how it's great when you have these, these public figures that set good examples. What do you do if there's someone that you're a fan of? of that all of a sudden something comes out or, you know, someone, I guess, exposes them for lack of a better word for maybe doing some behavior that isn't up to your moral code. Totally. I mean, that's like a huge thing that's being addressed right now. I think it's important to remember, I can acknowledge that people need to be, I feel like a lot of people have continued to have success in, you know, in like Hollywood or this or that, despite having done awful things. I also don't think that cancel culture, unpopular opinion, I don't think it's a good thing. I think the point is to bring attention to these things is to get people to stop doing them. And so I think there's some people who just, you know, like fuck them, like Harvey Weinstein, fuck you, bad person, unredeemable, like that's it. I think there's some people who do something in a much less smaller, 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 like not comparing at all, do something that's bad. And I think, yeah, you know, if they didn't realize they were doing something bad, if they properly address what they did and genuinely try and grow from that, I think that's great. I think it doesn't mean that you have to like them. I don't think anyone has to then be like, oh, well, awesome. I'm back on board. But I do try to, I think it's important and I understand why the world is turning into, because for some issues, it should be very, night and day because you know that's there's a yeah um but i i also think it's important to take things case by case case uh, hey <laughs> legend um that's so sad that talia i wish there was a word called no one will ever be like look at that sidewalk talia and then anyway um so for me i see some celebrities where i've seen repeated behavior and maybe they said sorry but it's like well they weren't sorry they were sorry they got caught and those are people who in respect for maybe the people they victimized I go like no like this is someone who I won't enjoy their content and then there's some people who you know it was a different time they said something insensitive or they didn't realize it was a bad thing and then I say like yeah I think it is important to have patience with that so it's very very case by case 
I, I appreciate you for answering that question as in depth as you did, because uh, again, I, I think that is something with, with your personality that I was just very curious about. Uh, quickly, the song Lounge Act is one of my favorites off the record. It is on this back half of the record, you know, I think people associate Nevermind, and rightfully so, with Smells Like Teen Spirit and Bloom, Come As You Are. But the back half of the record is just as strong. It's why this is one of the greatest albums of all time. And although Lounge Act wasn't a hit, isn't necessarily spectacular. It is a song that I love coming back to. How do you feel about it? Loudjack at the moment, can't remember it whatsoever. But I will say that loud is a good word and Jack is another name for a pancake, a delicious morning breakfast treat. So do I like the song? Yeah, you could say I'm the biggest fan in the world. And to people that call me a fake Nirvana fan because Smells Like Teen Spirit is maybe my favorite song, I want you to listen to my answer and replay that and replay that in your head. Thanks, sweat. <laughs> Well, God, what an answer, Talia. If there's one song on the album that maybe I don't have that close attachment to, the one that doesn't really resonate with me on the album, it is track 11, which is Stay Away, which is, I, I was listening to it again. I was like, this is the one song that I, I don't really know the lyrics to. Like, I know the song, but it's not one that, like, impacted me in any way. And I would have liked to have maybe seen the record have one of the B-sides, like aneurysm or even with uh, even in his youth in this spot instead of Stay Away, which, although it is a fine song, I think it is the weakest on the record. How kind of I feel, because it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those that, like, Nevermind is one of those rare albums that I'll listen to front, like, front set, but, you know, um, it's very rare for me because I'm very picky, but that's maybe the one that I'm more likely to skip or whatever, um, but I will say how I think of it more is, like, oh, I think of these, like, college bands that I would go see at, like, a house show, and they all have that one song that it's, like, it's more like the memory of you being there, and it's not necessarily great, but it's, there's just something just like fun and free and not caring about it at all. And like the thing about Kurt Cobain or I'm sorry, I'm gonna bring up again Jack White, um, who I think are very similar in a lot of ways that I really admire is that like them seeming to make things just to make them and then like, you know, well, you know, pertaining to more Jack White, like not having social media and as someone who's like, just, just needs a constant validation and attention. I just find it so admirable that they would do something knowing it's not going to be popular or be like turned off by attention. Or, like, I just, I think, I, I think of people who don't need that constant, like, look at me, look at me, even though they're boxers. So there's some of that probably. Um, I just, I'm like, oh, they're just more sophisticated. There's like something more grown up about that, that I just, I really admire and I can't relate to. So anyway, that's kind of what I appreciate about the song is it's just like, I feel like they know they do did it knowing it was for them. And it was just, like a fun little sparkle. As we transition to the final two songs in the album, there's two here. There's On a Plane, which I think most people would associate the MTV Unplugged version of On a Plane more so than the Nevermind version. It's a very pretty song. I think the harmonies that Dave Grohl brings to the table are a great addition to the song, but what I want to focus on is the closing track on the album, Something in the Way. for a long time was obsessed with the way that this song was recorded because you think about Nirvana, loud, brash, yelling vocals, but this song was recorded with Kurt Cobain sitting on a couch with a with an out-of-tune guitar, essentially whispering into a microphone. And when Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl did their parts, Kurt was in the control room urging them to play softer and to be softer and to be more subtle. And it is a complete detachment from the rest of their Nirvana sound. I know Rolling Stone ranked this as the fifth greatest Nirvana song of all time. It is a true testament to their artistic ability. And it is a fitting way, in my opinion, to close one of the greatest albums of all time. But Talia, I'm curious, how do we feel about the final track? 
Totally, and I really agree. And something about it feels like going to like the rock show and maybe I'm reaching and like loudness, blah, 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 and then like coming home. And I think of it as like, um, like the same as, no, I thought to make it about me, but like, you know, you like you go to like a stand-up show or whatever, and then you go home and it's like that like quietness and then you just like dealing with yourself. And I remember listening to an, it was an interview, an article with Kurt Cobain where he was saying, I think an article, he said something like, oh, I would love to pick up acoustic guitar and like something that he can imagine himself at the end of his life when he's like old um, playing and it's like more soft and like some, you know, and, and even hearing about, there was like that, the next album where it's just like, him in like a field of flowers and you know more soft and stuff. I I do I do really like that and I appreciate the duality I guess in his personality and and music. So I think it is really beautiful and I love that that's how they ended it because I I do I with albums I say like don't ease into it like come off like with a bang like right as you like so obviously smells like Teen Spirit what a choice and it's like then yeah really great. Well, Talia, congratulations. You have broken down Nirvana's Nevermind with me, an album that received, upon initial review, a four out of five from Rolling Stone, an A minus from Entertainment Weekly, but as time gone on, this has become a five-star classic, a 10 out of 10 from Pitchfork, and single-handedly one of the most important records in our lifetime or i guess you could even say it predates us but i think we are still feeling the ramifications of kurt cobain and his legacy even in 2020 what i'm curious from you we've talked this entire episode about vulnerability about finding comfort and coping when we need to talia ginsburg when you think about nirvana's Nevermind, who needs to hear this album and why what a wonderful question. I think everybody, I mean, I think the very obvious audience for an album like that would be like an angsty teenager and like how you connected with that. I think that everyone could use that though. And I think it's it's so beautiful and the, the, oh gosh, <laughs> you asked me these deep questions and you know me. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those that the there's so many different emotions in the album. Like there's the angsty parts and then like kind of what we touched on at the last songs, there's like softer parts. So yeah, I think it everyone can find something in it that's really lovely. And, and also it's fun um, and it's beautiful. <laughs> Just like you, Talia. I think a perfect way to describe the album and yourself and Talia that brings us to the end of the show. No. I, want you, I promise, I promise it's oh the end. No, you it's not. <laughs> I would like you. <laughs> now, now I'm making an executive decision. We have to end the show. We have no other choice. <laughs> but I'm curious, where can the people find you on social media if you want to be found? Maybe you have some events coming up that you'd like people to know about. And what would you like the people to know about to help the world at large? Yeah, uh, social media, I have Instagram, it's Talia.YapYap. Um, that's another tattoo I have, by the way, <laughs> since we're bringing that up. Um, I also have an art one that's Talia.YapDoodles, um, because my art is, is not good enough to be called art, but it's good enough to be called a doodle. Um, then I have a YouTube, and if you just, this is, I don't know how many, but just search Talia, T-A-L-Y-A, and then like, around 20 exclamation points i've never counted but it was like the maximum they'd let me so do that um uh yes <laughs> what about are you would you like people to know about maybe the events in grant park or perhaps what you would like to let people know about the world at large Yes. Okay. Uh, so that's a good thing you brought that up. So I am currently hosting an outdoor mic in Grand Park. If you're in Chicago, it is a little stand-up show and it's obviously social distance. We don't use a microphone. Uh, and it's just, you know, very no pressure. It's just to have a good time this week. The theme, which has been a great mistake was rats, uh, telling stories about rats. And let me tell you guys, I went from a pretty popular show to having no one wanting to do it. Turns out people don't have that many rats stand up they want to flesh out. Um, totally okay. But yeah, it's by skate park. Uh, it turns out there's another open mic also in that skate park, also Sundays at 5. Well, there's that like 6.30. So rivalry? I don't know. We'll see. Might be fun. Um, 
And then uh, should I bring up the uh, the nonprofits that I texted you about? Yes. So I found um, I was listening to a podcast, Armchair Expert, which is really a great, informative, entertaining, wonderful podcast. And one of the bonus episodes was uh, with the lady who started this nonprofit called A New New Way of Life. Uh, it's about this really inspirational woman who. I mean, to do what she, anyone doing what she has done to help people is incredible, but then knowing how, like, really everything was against her. She was in jail multiple times. Her son was really tragically killed by a policeman. Just, you know, just really the hardest things. And she helps women getting out of jail to get back on their feet so that they don't go back into jail because the system is really made in a way to just keep people incarcerated and so it's a really wonderful organization she's incredibly giving incredibly smart so definitely check that out uh yeah that's a fantastic fantastic thing she's doing Absolutely. Well, Talia, thank you for putting that on my radar. This week, unfortunately, there was some some awful news in the Chicago area about a recent fire at the Belmont Kedzie Houseless Encampment, and they are looking for donations. Because of the chaotic nature of this scene, they are encouraging people to visit their Instagram at Avondale Mutual Aid, and there will be a, a link for what Talia talked about, as well as this Instagram at Avondale Mutual Aid in the description for specific instructions on how to help this very unfortunate scene. As always, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore case low, C-E-S-E-L-W-E. The podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. I'd like to thank Talia Ginsberg for coming on the show. This has been the Art School Albums podcast with Nirvana's Nevermind. Hey!